Hey, I'm George Thomas, and this is the Fall Line Theory. The goal of this show is to expand your mindset on the issues that we face in everyday life. I hope you enjoy, and thanks for tuning in. Hello, everybody. How you doing? Welcome to the Fall Line Theory. Uh, this is the third episode, um, and the title of today's episode is Should They Stay or Should They Go? And we're going to be talking about the Confederate Monument. Should they stay or should they go? So today, um, so on the show today, have a special guest. Um, this this uh, esteemed individual, this young man is definitely a prized possession of making. Uh, he really helped me out recently in my recent run for political office. And if I didn't get his help, I wouldn't know what. Yeah, I wouldn't know if I was coming or going or half the stuff I learned along the way. So uh and so right now I'm gonna introduce Commissioner Virgil Watkins. Hey man, appreciate it, man. Appreciate that introduction too, man. I was glad I was there to be a part of it there for you, man. Oh, we had a lot of fun, especially spreading your message, man. I hate it didn't work out for you, man. What? Yeah. Well you know hey, I ain't man. done. No. <laughs> yeah, not done. So um so uh, tell tell the people a little more about yourself. Yeah, so I'm Virgil Watkins. I'm the county commissioner for uh, District Eight in Macon Bibb County. Uh, District Eight is gonna be the the more southwest to in town part of Macon, Georgia. So all along Pinona, um, all along Pinona, coming into the Bonneville, uh, Montpelier. Downtown Mercer University College area, catching a lot of the downtown and the Pleasant Hill area as well. Uh, been representing now for probably about 12 years, serving first as a city council member and now as a county commissioner, serving as the chair of uh, operations and finance right now. Um, just over the growth of my political career, I think I've become a lot more progressive in my leanings and my teachings. Uh, so even though I chair operations and finance, I'm, I'm quite progressive and liberal, looking for ways to educate myself about how finances work with the county and how we can best use that to improve the plight of people, man. You know, making Bibb County suffers from a lot of inequity and disparity. A lot of it, I believe, to be systemic in nature. Um, you know, going from the fact that we are the most redlined community in America, according to the Washington Post, right? That you know, still of our what they call hazardous tracks, census tracks, that those are predominantly um, lived in by ninety percent, ninety five percent African Americans, um, who for for decades have been not denied access to home loans, right. uh, business opportunities, and have been bombarded with, you know, zoning and oversaturation of businesses that have only looked to pillage and make us unhealthy and uneconomically fit from poor eating situations to and options to a lack of transit and services to, to folks just pillaging us with, putting casinos, small casinos on every corner of our neighborhood. Uh, so 
Yeah, I represent all that, but then I also represent the beautiful downtown, which is growing and bustling and coming up with new ways to do cool stuff, um, which also is fun to see and and grow and, and watch that growth happen as well. It's right. It came a long way down there. Things <laughs> interesting, but yeah, yeah. Well, that was a great introduction. Uh, yeah, and speaking on downtown and it, downtown making has really came a long way within in ten years. I when I graduated, I mean we never even went downtown. We uh, <laughs> it wasn't nothing to do down there, and just and and then the crime was bad and stuff, and and so. But now it's everybody wants to be downtown. Where the action is, uh, we get people from all over the world coming <laughs> coming downtown, especially looking at the loss that I that I managed and stuff. They everybody. Is um that's where people want to be, but um, let's, yeah, yep. Yeah, let's so let's get into our our topic of discussion for the day. Uh, is should they stay or should they go? Um, and so my first question: What do you think about the Confederate monuments in general? What What do you think about? So, so and I think it's interesting. I, I do think I think that symbols matter. Uh, I think that somebody spent a whole lot of money for the purpose of putting the symbol right in downtown making. Uh, just as you you were talking just a second ago about how you in the early two thousands and late nineties, you know, didn't come downtown, right? Right. You know, you go back, you know, a couple decades before. Well, it's with intentionality that young people and particularly black people are coming downtown making now because you know you work at Newtown making and you and Josh and even Mike Ford before him were really intentional about creating a space for black businesses and women owned businesses to be down here. You know, y'all got a lot of funds and uh and are working to break up decades, if not centuries of maybe a century of not only black folks not feeling welcome, but literally not being welcome. Like there was a law, a systemic law on the books at a certain point in Macon Bibb County where we couldn't be on Poplar and Cherry Street, right? Mm-hmm. And we were stricken up there to Cotton Avenue because uh, that's where all the black folks and all the black businesses I love Black Wall Street was at here in Macon. And that right. was the black. That's like you had the colored waiting room. That's why, the, you know, we don't talk about it a lot, but that's part of the history of Macon that we don't pay attention. That's why the alleys are so beautiful here. Now they're beautiful alleys, but back then, that's where black people had to get service if you wanted a burger or a sandwich or whatever out of them businesses because you definitely couldn't be seen on the front of Poplar Street. We had to walk back and forth through the alleys. And get our food in them little alley doors. That's what that was about. Like now it's like a cool little thing to see. But a lot of that stuff has an interesting history. Um, And I think it's with intentionality that we are beginning to bust that up. And I think largely, like I say, there are a lot of black businesses downtown making. And a lot more of us are feeling like we can come down here and alleviating as more and more young folks, black folks, people of color, people of progress are moving, creative sector folks are moving downtown. 
you got to ask yourself about those overt symbols that are down here. If we truly going to be fully welcoming, you got to finish the job. And symbols like that are part of that, in, in my opinion. Um, I don't think, I don't believe the, I, I respect and I have in public discourse the concept of the heritage argument. Right. Um, that concept of hate not heritage, but just being candid, I don't believe it. Um, and I have issues with it that I think a, a history lesson reveals that its intent was purely out of a place of hate. You know, I think folks have done a good job of owning the history and turning it into something less less perverse than it actually is, but I do think yeah, roman- romanticizing. Romanticizing, yeah. 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 Yeah, most definitely. And and to me, as you know, that's when you look at Cotton Avenue in particular, like, you know, as you just gave the history lesson, <laughs> that's pretty much the that's pretty much the segregation part on one side of you know, go on that side of um cotton, and then you know, that's where you have the black area, and then you meet this Confederate statue. And then, yeah. and then you got oh. <laughs> And so think about it, right when, right when the, you talking about the high, I think 58, right when King and the civil rights movement was exactly. cranking up, right? right? They killed him in 64, right. but you know, back in 58 was back when everything was cranking up, Panthers was alive, everything was going down. Yeah, Malcolm X was still, was still alive. Right, right. All of that going down, you got the, you got the center of black commerce. And then somebody comes and put a Confederate statue right there. So you got one at the top of our street right. and one at the bottom of our street. Right. And it's and not like this happened in, it is not like this happened like in 1870. Like, you right. know, shortly after. Right. Yeah. Right. So you don't wait almost when they put, put that sucker where it's at now. Almost and not 100 only years is later. one at the top of the street, you got a second one at the, at the top, I mean, at the bottom to, to end count the street. And back then, you're talking about hundreds of thousands of dollars of 1950s money. They ain't do that with a purpose and a cause to tell somebody something. Right. Like, shortly, and then you follow it, shortly after that, all them black businesses start fading away, right? Mm-hmm. Like, we don't, you know, our, our parents talk about the Royal X Club and the Red Rooster and all of that type of stuff that existed. But by the seventies, right. they had got rid of all that stuff, and it was a back of white exclusive downtown in terms of ownership. Apparently, there was two newspapers on that block that was black owned. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, ain't that some sad? I didn't even know about the two black newspapers, but it makes sense. Yeah, yeah. You know, it makes sense. Um, and so, yeah, man. So even like, like if I'm visiting Macon, yeah, I'm I'm born, raised in Macon. I've been here my whole life. And if I'm visiting, if I'm visiting Megan, I'm coming into one of the main gates of entry downtown. I see a Confederate statue. I instantly, me being a black African American man, when I see anything, stars and bars, uh, <laughs> you know, anything with a Confederate flag or symbol, I'm already on guard. Like because oh. it's just, it's just, that's what it does to me. You know, you may say, well, it's it's heritage. Um, it's my heritage. It's our history. It's history, but you know you got to keep telling history. You know, <laughs> like, 
about what that used. The Civil War was mainly fought over slavery. Man, we had a uh, conference, had a political convention thing down here in Macon, and some of the folks was out. Uh, now they was in Atlanta, but they came down to Macon to check me out. And some of them was from uh, California, right? Right. So I don't even think we got to the point of the statue, but mm. you know, we a lot of us ride around with like the Confederate bars as like a license plate type. Right, right, right. They had that over there. Well, that's that wasn't even the original Confederate flag. That was yeah. the rebel flag. Oh yeah, you say rebel flag. So they was just bugging out. I don't know how many they had seen before they had got to me on the road, but they were just because they, you know, they Cali. So they uh, were just bugging out at that and wondering, you know, basically, what they safe? Am I safe? <laughs> right, right. Is this normal or is it a special day? Because this seems peculiar. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, bad. but you know we you know we used to seeing it and yeah and most and most of people you know when I talk to them because I I'm good at talking to people everybody I see I talk and I look them in the eye and so that way it's it's hard to ignore somebody that looks you in the eye saying hello how you doing type stuff and and no you know when I talk to people I, you know they normally talk back you know you get a few people with the rebel flags and stuff like that you know they. They um you know they look like they angry at the world and stuff, but that's not all of them. I think generally, generally speaking, you know that there's some good people. But, but I just I think, in, I, and in general, I also think I think there's no question. Let me clean up what I was saying earlier. I think there is no question on the symbolism's actual history and culture, and that's from a place of hate. But I do think pop culture has done a great job of glorifying Dixie um, right. in a way yeah. that I think a lot of general people like, you know, I read, I spend a lot of time reading history and, and going in depth with stuff probably a lot further than I should. But mm. I also respect the Dukes of Hazzard as mighty fine TV. Actually, damn right. good TV. But, <laughs> well, my dad always talks about Dukes of Hazzard too. Everybody kind of like that, you know. Yeah, you know, you know, so... It, and so when you think about it from that act, so you got a lot of people who when, you know, when they're thinking about the rebel flag and good old Dixie, what they're associating with is, you know, some mighty good TV and some mighty good music, right? Right. And, so, and I do believe that there are a lot of people who do that. Um, But just like with us with hip-hop, Right. Right. Inadvertently, we end up praising a lot of things that us as a culture, society, we probably shouldn't, right? Yeah, yeah, you can, yeah, you can say that. Some people go as far as to say that what you're listening to is demonic, and mm. when you sit down and let them break down the why they think it's demonic, they made some really good points, right? Mm, right. As much as I don't want to admit it, as much as girl <laughs> flying murder. And all of that in hip hop music is happening, and same thing is inadvertently happening. I think with a lot of people when they're praising Dixie the way that it is, that inadvertently you're embracing racism on a way that you're not fully aware of because it has a really good beat, right? <laughs> right, right. Yeah, that's. I mean, you know, country music is you know that's a billion dollar industry, so it's like, and that's the, and that's the heart of <laughs> country music is you. When you think about that, the harder country music in NASCAR, you're gonna see a bunch of Confederate flags and stuff. Yeah. That's just that's just part of that backdrop of the culture. Yeah, but, and, I, and I doubt that anybody in that when you're out enjoying some music at NASCAR 
that you're also stopping to talk about, you know, the philosophical aspect of it. I totally respect that. And that's why I think it is a nuanced thing. And that's why right. I was kind of happy. You know, we worked out that thing with the statues as much right. as I would have loved to, you know, throw them in the lake. I realize yeah. that it does mean a lot to a lot of people. To some people, right. right. This is the deep south. Like, I understand why Baltimore and St. Louis and some of those more northern or western regions are able to completely discard them. But in fairness to, I guess, what the Confederacy is, that there probably will always be a place in the world where you'll be able to go see some of those monuments held in an appropriate place. Right. And Georgia, Mississippi, and Alabama – and don't forget South Carolina. That's the first oh, yeah. state to succeed. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Yeah, so um, definitely. Uh, so, you know, and we worked out a pretty good deal with what I thought to be a pretty reasonable branch of the Sons of the Confederacy. I was amazed that we were written by, so we got a letter or a negotiation letter or articles of surrender, whatever you want to talk about, a foreign government, the mm-hmm. The commander of the Sons of the Confederacy, 418, reached out to the Macon Bill County government um, to let us know that he was like, they had a couple concessions about making sure that we didn't burn it or throw it away. But if we could put it in, like we said, we came up with putting them in Whittle Park. Right. So it's still accessible. So it's still accessible. And I tell you, the fact that they were so happy about accepting the agreement and makes me a little nervous about how good of a location would <laughs> well i mean you know it's it's you know it's it's still technically downtown but you know it's out yeah. of the it's out of the main central business district yeah. where it shouldn't be so you know I, in my mind you you got to take you got to take the the small victories right you know so yeah so, i got i got to take it it's definitely moved out the central Business district because no matter what you do, everybody's not going. Might look like though somehow I got a a feeling that 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 thing is huge, man. Yeah, it really is. And I I didn't even realize how much it like how how much it costs to move those things. Like you know, like God, dog. This well, see, and that's also it. Really, don't cost that much to move, man. It costs like to move it. So to move it from point A to point B to have a like we take it down. And we have a pedestal ready for it at Woodle Park. Um, we feel like that's going to run us about $80,000. Right. And so this is the frustrating part about being a black man in America, right? Um, this next part I'm going to talk about. So lately, one of the phrases that I've been getting hip to is about who is the conversation centered upon, right, mm-hmm. when we're doing stuff. So ideally, in my mind, your mind, what I think all of us really want to happen with the statues or any of that type of symbolism when it comes to this is that the city of Macon or the state of Georgia is like, look, black people, we we understand slavery was horrible and we did y'all really wrong and we had completely made up for that. And we've continued to poke you in the eye about this. By having mm-hmm. this monstrosity, you pass by every day when y'all need to go to court and do stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And 
as an apology and a way of saying that we're going to start working on this, this and these type of equity issues, we're going to take this down. Please accept our humble apology, black people. Hopefully this is the beginning. That's really what you want, right? Yeah, want, but that's not that's you know, not that's not what's going on because nah, because the conversation ain't centered on us, right? Right, right. Rather than that, what we get is I gotta cover it up with a roads project, right? Yeah, you gotta buy. Yeah, like you, yeah, you cover it up. <laughs> cover it up with a whole another project to, right, right. to make you it go mean, over on people. I don't get no apology. I don't get nothing. We just move straight to, hey, we're going to build a roundabout right here. Um, and because of that, we're going to take down this little statue. And I guess it may also make some black people happy. Mm. Right? Right. But, again, and I'll take that, but the other part that sucks here is that so all of a sudden, something that goes from being an $80,000 just simple, symbolic apology now moves to being and making build a five million dollar project. Technically, I gotta support the first thing in the the first thing that the mayor of, uh, amended the bill to be is about we gotta support twenty million dollars worth of hotel bonds, right? Mm-hmm. Right. But right. the hotel I, bonds don't don't affect don't affect the county budget though, right? No, nah, they don't, and they right. find that. So and they using that right there to finance the five million dollar roundabout stuff that they doing. You know, infrastructure, traffic improvements. You can't build a big right. fancy hotel and still have the same street lights and stuff like that moving around. See, right? Yeah. Um, and passively, passively, you know, creating a more inviting space by moving some horrible sim- symbolism. You know, it's like we got to reverse the two, which, you know, I'll take it because it needs to be done. But honestly, it makes you feel a little. Still, well, you know, we Please. so I look at it like this. We black people are never going to get a full hearted apology for slavery. Right. It's going to be because because right now, because the problem with accepting history is you got to accept history how it is and how gruesome and brutal that history might be. Right. But in order, but for, so when people talk about it, it's uncomfortable and people don't like talking about the uncomfortable, but until you can talk about the uncomfortable, that's the only way you can get things done. Like it's like when you just look at the, when you look at the black, when you look at black people in general, it was like, well, how did they catch up? Well, you know, you just, you know, so say you, you get in a race, you didn't got lapped for 400 years. And now they're like, okay, here you go, catch up, right? So you you'll get you get affirmative action, which helps a little bit. You get a little bit this and that, but really, you know. But then you look at the other stuff like redlining. Like and for people that don't know what redlining was when we hit on it earlier, is that you 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 take a you take a picture of the city and you put where the black people are. You make it hazardous and you deny everybody. 30-year mortgages, right? <laughs> so, and so now people got small, you know, the houses can't be as big, they can't afford much. The big the big grocery stores, supermarkets, not gonna go in that area because it's hazardous and they can't get the same, the same low mortgage they can get in an area that's not hazardous. And we're making 65% hazardous at that time when they wrote the red line. We still suffer from that. House Avenue doesn't yep. have it's not a Walmart over there. It's not, you know, it's not a Back in the day, Pleasant Hill had a grocery store, but that's a that's a food desert. Like you know, you, you go in, like it's not nothing right in Fort Hill. It's not a 
not a grocery store right there. They had to go. It's not that far, but they had to go a good ways to get to Walmart. Like it's that's not walking distance from, from there. The Kroger is by oh. Bakersfield. That's not on the the heart of Fort Hill and stuff like that. That's man. Um, I, they did one study over there in Pleasant Hill. Well, if you live in like the Hart Persley Street and you don't have a car, it's tough. I use it two and a half hours. I think Issa Arion said mm-hmm. is what it take to get get to some food. Right. Man, it's bad. And it's just and that's the stuff that we suffer with. Just like in you just look at it. so so you know, building an equal playing field would be the best way to go, but how did you get there, right? And so you and then you look at a and you look at a situation like okay, people say reparations, right? Uh, all the other communities that had groups of things happen to them. I mean, even you know, um even you know the Asians out west, you know they got reparations. You know, the Jewish people got reparations for things like that. We were the only race of people to be chattel, chattel slavery. You know, chattel meaning that we are property. You know, what I'm saying we wasn't mm-hmm. human beings. You know, so that's how you and you suffer from even with the four hundred year lap. Then you suffer being bred like dogs. You know, you got inbreeding. Mm-hmm. So when you look at Baltimore, Maryland, that's the most. That was the most inbred area. Uh, in the United States up around it. And that's why that's why that area suffered from a high mental health um rate because you know when you big you know big John gotta breathe with his mama and stuff like that. It's just you know it's like you get treated like animals, you know what you're saying yeah. now that's the first time I heard that one. That was that's interesting man. Jesus Christ. Yeah so it, it's just you know that's the thing you're working with but you know but you know I guess to bring it back in um but that's definitely part of what I get this that symbolize these um you know for when I look at these monuments I think of all that and they even downtown everything named after the tree right you listen to Billy yeah. Holiday strange fruit hanging from the poplar trees right <laughs> I work on poplar street <laughs> so I'm sitting there thinking you know my mm. mind I'm yeah, you know I look I walk down I look at some big every time I see a big tree I look I mean I can just imagine that it was somebody hanging from those trees right <laughs> and just you know that's that's what goes through my mind and so and so to me, right. And so the opposition, I know people think, you know, where it's heritage and stuff like that. But how who are you to tell me how I should feel about what happened to my ancestors? You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. you know, I, I got white, uh, I got white in my blood line. Um, and my my great great grandmother, you know, we was raped on the field like most people, you know what I'm saying? We intertwine and stuff like that and that's just stuff I got to deal with you know and that's just what happened you know but that's that's the trauma as being a black man today that you walk around with that you just it's in your mind and it's a it's a medical term for that I can't remember it now but um well yeah well I'm gonna pull it back in and um so the next question um should we be proud of confederate history should you know should is that a history for all? Should we really be proud of that in making Georgia? Does that make us, as you think of, when you think of cities that's taking that leap forward um, and being the, like, the, should we be proud of that? Right? Should we should we be the one symbolizing that? Yeah, we 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 was big on cotton plantations. You know that that's what I that's what I see. Like, yeah. should we be proud? So of that? I find it just. And I think that's why they do it. They try to do so and have done such a great job of romanticizing that right. era, right? Right. Because romance and, and again readjusting your historic perspective. You know, right. I think what Tim Cotton, which 
Isn't that his name, or am I making up his name? But the congressman. Uh, I can't think of it right now. I think it's Tim Cotton, but it's definitely. I mean, you talking about current? Current. Yeah, the current. I think I'm putting the Cotton on his name just because. Tim of, Tim Scott. You talking about South Carolina? Yeah. Yeah, Tim Scott. Tim Scott. Okay. Now that's yeah. the black guy. Yeah. Yeah. No. Nah, so anyway, the sixteen nineteen. You know, so there's a push now to make history books tell a better story about um, about slavery and the impacts of blacks on the country, right? Right. And so there's a congressman that's out here, you know, actively pushing against that, trying to make a change in the educational curriculum so you can't get funded if that's the history that y'all are going to tell. Oh, I, um, I, I read that. I read about that. I think it's cotton. If I had a little chance, I would look it up. But, um, uh, uh, but, but I mean, because it's that important, right? Like, right. once you start telling folks their history and get an understanding, they did us all together dirty with, I know, with me back in school. Mm-hmm. Like, a little bit that I learned about it in elementary and high school, you know, that should have been illegal. You know? <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I kept, I caught, like, for some reason, I caught, um, I ended up actually doing a minor in African American studies um, uh, from Georgia Southern because of because I went to one class in African studies and thank Dr. Jallo was just every day and every page turn my jaw would drop because it was just <laughs> you know they was telling us the real history from an African from Gambia right they were right. unabashed on how they would break it down and reveal I, and I was just it, it really worked well for me. Um, and it's just such different. It's just a diff, such a different history and perspective. As you know, the way they got telling it, I think McGraw Hill textbooks. You know, they kind of embraced the idea that we were somewhat complacent or happy with it. Like you, you did a good job a little earlier of noting the definition of Chattel slavery, and you know that's a that's a that's a big difference, man. Like we right. weren't. This wasn't a normal thing that people was doing to us. Like, and then it's some, and then it's some um history books. Like you, you read like it's like you, like you think you know they're like yeah we took you know they they got the Africans from Africa they were savages over there like they was nothing was going on you know but when you come yeah, to you know yeah. West West Africa a lot of descendants from Mansa Musa yeah he's the richest man that ever lived you know what I'm saying like yeah. so. We, Full kingdoms and stuff like that. It, it didn't save us from anything, you know. It was definitely I, I, got, doing fine. I got something for you. I got something for you, man. Um, I didn't get it. Like I was making the argument. Um, I was making the argument about uh, uh, the, the statues and the history of it and why it was important. Some of the stuff that I, I, I ended up backing down with. But just like we don't get enough chance to read our history, but the stuff is all there. A lot of stuff is free, right? Talk about the yeah, yeah, yeah. census. Right. The government, you know, this census thing is mind-blowing. The 1860 census data is online just like the 2020 or the 2010 census information. Same website. I just clicked in 1860, making Georgia, and they pulled up the PDFs for me, Right. Right. And what was fascinating back then, they like it literally tells me how many people were slaves and how many people were slave owners and how many people owned slaves. Almost 
like in the same categorization of age and gender. Right. Yeah, that's well. Um... And so. 1860, 16,000 people lived in Bibb County, right? Right. 6,700 were slaves. That's almost, like that's getting close. That's about 45%. Right, yeah, that's hey, off the back. <laughs> only 40, 41 free black people. So, like, what that did for me, I was like, so a lot of times folks talk about, you know, a lot of free blacks, and and sometimes black people almost like no, 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 no. In 1860, <laughs> four years, I mean, a year before the war, it was 41 free black people in Macon Bill County, right? There were 2,600 white males over the age of 20. And see, to me, that's really important because you got to realize that women that lived here couldn't own slaves, right? Couldn't vote either. And and if you were a child of 13 or not a grown man, you also didn't have that option. Your daddy might have owned slaves and he might have had a wife. But really, the only people who were eligible to own slaves at this time were um, 793 people that lived in Macon, Bibb County. And that, and that's I mean, seven. excuse me, 2,600, but 793 of them, 30% owned slaves. And they and they own so that thirty percent of them own forty five percent of the population. Was, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and they so were count, and they were counted as three fifths, three fifths of, of people. So yeah, yeah, that's that's well, crazy. And so and then you get into the other thing that blew my mind because they was talking about that statue was about that's why I started going down this path because they was talking about the statue was about all of the soldiers. Who were um, who were killed in the war that was unnamed and all that, right? Nah. So it's documented that like four hundred Maconites went to the war, and apparently there are two hundred and twenty-six graves with names on them at um, at the uh, cemetery here. I mean, that Rose Hill Cemetery, which arguably is the most prominent and well-kept cemetery in all right. of the city, if not region. Mm-hmm. It's a very honorable thing over there, actually, for these guys. So, again, just kind of who was this statue honoring? The 793 from 1860? Or the 200 people who already had grave sites? <laughs> right. Yeah, I, I, that's a that's a good question, right? That's that's, that's a definitely a good question. Um, I don't know, man. Well, uh, well, yeah. So, uh, well, to move on to our next question. Um, so, does removing these monuments help us move forward as a community? Maybe. Um, I think it could. I think. I think in general as a community, because the issues of race and equity and even geographical inequity um, are so apparent and problematic here that we've all got to be willing to talk about issues of race and confront what's happening with the black community here. Got to accept it. Got to accept the problem. Got to accept it. Yeah, I think 
right now we haven't because we are so twisted up in what history is. Right. We hadn't done a good job of putting it on the forefront. And so one of the things that there's an argument to be made that only that there's so we realize that there's an equity gap, right? Right. A bunch of disparity that exists. And I think we don't talk about it enough when really out loud, but it's really only two reasons that you can come up with. I believe that it's because of systemic inequities, again, dating back from the days of slavery that have just put black people at a disadvantage and oppressed and then and sometimes in many places, uh, white or capitalistic America has systematically sought to give themselves an even greater advantage, thus making our situation worse. Mm. But and in order to overcome that, we're going to have to create a system that's overtly trying to improve it. Because right. the other option or system of belief is that there's something wrong with black people. Mm-hmm. Like that the stereotype of us being lazy, dumb, and somehow inferior, right? right. Less than human is true and has always been true. And that idea right there was the fundamental cornerstone, what he called the cornerstone of Jefferson Davis's argument for wanting to have a Confederate country. That y'all need to understand, he writes it in his cornerstone and, and his speeches of articles of whatever, of disillusion, of, of secession, excuse me, that he believed that black folks are inferior and should remain, should remain as inferior objects or property and that everybody else is making a grave mistake in thinking otherwise. Like that, that is an argument that I still think, and we do it a lot, even inadvertently, and it's real hard to shake, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And I think part of the the system of you know of creating the inequality, like you said, I think one thing that was left out is that a lot of um, the systematic inequalities come from turning us as a people against each other as well. Because you have some people that's, you know, they they like being the only black person in the room, right? Like, so when they see somebody yeah. else coming, instead of trying to help help a fellow brother get to where you're at and you lift as you climb, they be like, no, nah, I'm going to, you know, throw salt on him. I'm going to do something to, get, you know, make sure he don't get high or come in here. Like, I'm, I want to be the only person here and hold it above people's head, you know, that type of stuff. So you, that all that was created, too. And that's coming, you know, look at um, overseers, right? And, you know, so you got the overseer, then you got the, then you got, like, you watch Django, then you got the Samuel Jackson that was there to tell on everybody. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. And, right, you know, so. and even bringing it back, like, right now, in, in the COVID situation, we're seeing it, too, even racial, but just in dealing with the poverty, you know, some people at home right now getting checks, and we we accuse some people are accusing them of being lazy, right. and while one person's over here having to work every day at a, at a minimum wage job, right? Right. And we bought everybody, and then you got some people in the world. If you already had me, they going back to school, investing in stuff, right? Taking up new hobbies, right? 
Yeah, yeah, right. And then yeah, we gonna call we gonna call that man who just spent sixty hours working at McDonald's with limited PPE, lazy and make it his fault that he ain't got the edu- he couldn't take advantage of the education or get in shape or something, right? Right. But no, nah, that's that is a a very interesting while all the time, you know. There's a billionaire making billions of dollars off of it. Always. Every time it's an economic downturn, you know, the rich always get richer. And the top of them, they always going to get richer. And so, and even then, you just look at the minimum wage, right? So the the federal minimum wage is has been, what, seven twenty five since 2008. Like, it's 12 years later. And then, if you want to go even further than that, like, okay, the minimum wage had changed, but the cost of living keep going up. But then you look at the Georgia minimum wage. It's like uh, it's it's five fifteen. It's like five fifteen. Like the state minimum yeah. wage for Georgia is less than the federal minimum because some states like uh, California is like twelve dollars an hour. You know, cost of living way high. But but like if it was up to Georgia, we would be paying people five dollars still. Like what can you what can you do with seven twenty five? That's right. Like, yeah, That's like, why I give Verbin. Hey, he lost, but. That's why I give Verbin Weaver his credit, man. We mm-hmm. all really should be belligerent about the minimum wage. That's probably one of the greatest thing. Like, I think in terms of the black race, because race beyond transcending race, right. but it, it works out because most of the people who are hitting low wage jobs are people of color doing what society contends to be minimal. I mean, right. we all should just be belligerent. About the minimum wage, it'd be the greatest thing we can do for folks, right? Yeah. Just a quick order of policy, but you know, it just don't be enough folks because again, we we assign a negative connotation to that, right? Right. We blame the person for being in that situation, yeah. not the system creating an untenable situation that, without intervention, is almost hard, almost impossible for somebody to get out of it, right? Right. And even when you sit there and be like, well, he's just on food stamps. He's not doing nothing. He should pull himself by a bootstrap and stuff like that. Well, you know, 15000 a year, I got to have government assistance, right? Like, right. Just, like I, you cannot live. And then even that, and even with that $15,000 a year, if you, if you are single, you won't get any, you won't get any food stamps. At, yeah, at fifteen thousand, like you don't also, get much of anything. Like it's it's tough. You end up in a hor- you end up in a horrible cycle, right? Then right. You over here at the payday loan place, trying to stretch some money out. Or right. At the rental center, trying to stretch some out. You're doing yeah. all this interesting stuff. You know. You got you got to find yourself in. Trying to get a you know trying to get in at some you know projects or some section yeah. eight voucher you got because you can't get ahead. It's just yeah. you got to work the overtime just to make. Something you know, you gotta work sixty hours a week. Be all types of businesses designed to prey on you, and you know, even us in government, just something I something like so you be getting so hyped to the hip to the different thing that, but then you end up with these colleges like Virginia College, so somebody that's trying to get a job or trying to go back to school, right? right. And then Virginia and, College prey on you because they close right. down. Like it's a, right, but they closed down because they were sorry. Them, yeah, them right. schools like that, they ain't providing the true right. degree of service, but they paying. Too. And they paying more than you would, way more than you would have sent to Georgia Tech because you would be able to so go there for you free. State. Right, yeah, and for and you're not even getting a four year degree. Right, right. 
And he done, and they'll, you know, they'll student, they'll, and really, all that that place right there is doing is they, they pop themselves up in a low income community. Right. No um, people the need. The main people that work there is the financial advisors, and they hooking people up into getting a Stafford loan or some type of student loan. But they can get a so refund. How would you get this 15000 And then, so you don't really know that you shouldn't be paying $15,000 a semester for right. a two-year degree. Right. So you done racked up $45,000 worth of worth of uh, student aid stuff, and they right. they put you on deference and what's the name so it don't slap them in the mouth until later on. After they out the program. Right. Like, and that school done got away scot-free with, you know, a but whole bunch of people doing that, too. Yeah, you still like, holding the bill, you know, and somebody got to pay it. Yeah, well, well, it just messes up. It just messes up the people people in our community's credit even further. Right now, they got not in a whole borrowing service or credit lender on. They tell about four five hundred dollars, or they'll do a deference. You know, if you if you keep up with it, they'll do a deference, and so they might only got them paying a dollar or whatever on it. But at some point, ten years from now, that's gonna come home to roost, right? Yeah, because all that interest is gonna be little accrued, and now you owe, you know, a few thousand dollars more than you. Yes, and then you did in the first place and stuff. So, yeah, it's, uh, yeah man, it's, it's and all you ended up with is a medical coding license, right? And ten dollars an hour job at the nursing home, and now you got somebody talking to you about how you can pay off this seventy-five thousand dollars student loan. Five years ago, right? right. Yeah, didn't even get an LPN or nothing. You still, you know, right. did all that, all that debt for a CNA or something like that. And you just, right? Yeah, it's just, just, just predatory, just right. predatory in one of the worst senses, man. Right? And every in every low income neighborhood, you're gonna find um, liquor stores, title pond, payday advance. You gonna find all this stuff, right? Right? Every yeah. bad decision you can make. I remember my cousin told me, he was like, yeah, man, like, because I was getting these phone calls from some Atlanta number, and, uh, and they called me, hey, have you talked to Blase Blase? Um, yeah, if you talk to him, uh, I said, yeah, that's my cousin. He's like, you talk to him, tell him uh, he need, <laughs> tell him to give us a call. And, I, and so I called my cousin, man, why you got these folks, why you got these people calling me? And, um, <laughs> and, and he was like, he was like, oh, man, yeah, man, I ain't gave him, I got to pay him $50 or something, I ain't gave him any money yet. I said, uh, I said fifty dollars. He was like, "Yeah, man, I got him. Um, um, I had got a loan for them for two hundred dollars, and I got to pay them fifty dollars a month for, I think, like a year for twelve months." I said, "I said what? I said if you, <laughs> I said you got pay fifty dollars for a year." <laughs> I said, "You realize that's six hundred dollars that you paying for this?" I said, "Man, you would if you needed two hundred dollars, I would have gave you two hundred dollars. I wouldn't, I wouldn't charge you that much extra on that just to let you hold it." I'm like, "This is ridiculous." But that's, you know, if you don't know, because it's not like we educate on finances in school, right? It's like, you know, you get if you don't have parents that that will teach you, you're not gonna know how to balance a checkbook. Well, I mean, really, nobody even <laughs> nobody even damn write checks no more, right? But so how many? How many people still know how to write a check because they don't know how to write them, right? And let alone yeah. people, you know, to balance the checkbook. And so and you wonder why people might bounce checks. So if they do write the check and they they done overdraft it because you ain't account for the check. You know, you know the check's gonna take forever for them to clear. You know, it, it ain't like people gonna run to the bank and deposit them right then. And it just throw you behind. It's just life skills that you just don't get. And all that come from 
being, you know, wherever you grow up and everything's predatory, so it's easier to make a bad decision when you're in that situation. Right. So it's just yeah, man, it's just the life we living in, man. So um so the next question, uh, and this is gonna be the last question, uh, what are some steps that we can take to help bring our community of make it together? Because I know my whole life it's always been a especially in government, it's always been a racial divide. I could just remember my just from just like just always growing up. We don't if this not, you know, yeah, this yeah, this place wants to come here. Um, if this, if it's not gonna be over here, then we don't want it. You know what I'm saying? Like if, if it's not over, it's gonna benefit these folks that we don't want. It. I, I remember passing up on a lot of stuff. Like so what has it come to mind? I remember the Ag Center could have been in making. I remember um the whole wild adventure situation. Uh all of it just from just disagreement. Like it's just I don't know what what what's some things you think we can do to help just bring the community together. Um, and I know it goes beyond government for the problem. You know, government can't fix everything. But what are just some things you think we can do? So, I think one. I, I think we do. We're gonna have to start talking and communicating about those uh, about issues of inequity and race a good bit more. And through those conversations, get some buy-in on where we want to go. Because and, and and kind of the cycle that keeps happening, I think throughout the country and throughout the years, is got to be some gruesome and be publicized and get some change. That Emmett that T- always open, that open always casket Emmett Till, Till, right? That's what he got some yeah, yeah, LBJ a, a, on board. A public safety response, but you know, kind of. In order to fix a lot of our things, it requires big change. And there's always that concept that, you know, like we, right now we talk about, like here, I think really like the property taxes, right? Right. Like that becomes probably the biggest stick is that black making and low income and marginalized communities have legitimate needs and things that they need to access right. in order to level the playing field or improve upon whatever's happening or address whatever negative thing is happening. Right. And that costs money. Everything and costs money. That's a lot of times where the privilege starts to take hold. Right. You are the property owner and you want you don't necessarily want to pay an extra five dollars period for some of these entitlement programs, right? Nor do you want to really spend the time to figure out why somebody may be asking for this, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and as of right now, like, countywide, you're not able to really fund those type of things. It ain't like there's a special pot of money right. just being generated towards those type of efforts. So it's like, it's got to be very overt and upfront. Right. Like the places where I've seen success of them trying to tackle them, they ain't doing a great job of it. But they do have a little bit more money or something that's pulling them in. You know, a little bit more. Charlotte be busting with this type of stuff. Yeah. Charlotte has the Panthers and and all that. Type yeah, of stuff. and you got all that type of stuff. Yeah, even when you look at Atlanta, you know they they taxes are higher. 
and um, they, you know, they get their benefit of the airport. Even Charlie get the benefit because that, that's an airport hub too. Airport again, yeah. yeah and so and it makes the it makes the conversation about what are we going to do about the homeless a little less confrontational, right? Because no matter what I say in making bib, somebody's like, "Well, how you gonna pay for it?" Right. It's always the and problem. And then North making is like, "I bet that idea includes more of my money." See, that's <laughs> what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about right there. Right. We gonna Every time pay. I come to your meeting, you ask me about more something money. about my money. Yep. Right. Yep. Uh, whereas, like a city like what we were just talking about, where you got those windfalls, they're able to say, "Hey, the Ford plant just opened up." We got a hundred million dollars for some reason. How do y'all want to use I that to address homelessness? Right, right, right. Like, comes a little bit less pressure. Um, and I think it keeps them parties at the table, but they also do a better job with neighborhood planning units and community benefit agreements mm-hmm. that constantly have community members and businesses at the table talking about stuff all the time. Right. We do a lot of stuff quietly here in making bill. And yeah. I think that's part of that good old the way the good old boy system, good old boy system. kind of operates that we're all trying to break down, right? Right. But be real or easy to do some shady stuff kind of in the shadows, right? Mm-hmm. And that's and that's when you that's when you feel like the knock on making bill government. Everybody thinking, well, you know, everybody's getting paid under the table. Um, you know, it's yeah. it's such that where's all the money going? Um, and this and that, you know. But when you look at when you look at our budget, it's not like you know, like like uh, hey, Columbus got a, Columbus got a few more hundred. Well, not a few hundred, but like about thirty thousand more people than us probably. Um, give or take, and they they had a hundred million dollars more in their budget. Like, yeah, uh, Augusta be about the same size. Uh, they got about forty million dollars more in their budget. Right, so you can solve, you can solve these problems when you when you got the money, and um, you know yeah. they, they, their their sales tax is higher. Uh, I believe they're, I'm sure they're probably when you look at our property taxes that in general is not that high, and I know the city of making uh, property tax, uh, the millage rate was higher before consolidation. Uh, yeah, so it's just you know, and, and and that's the other part that I think leads to the. See, and I catch it from both sides, right? Mm-hmm. There's a side of town who's saying, hey, they argument in North Macon is that y'all are spending way too much money, right? Right. Um, look at all that stuff, whatever, right? Um, and then there's the argument from the South side who was like, yeah, we don't see any product or services or program coming out of our city. Like, we don't think you spend enough money, right? Somebody right. can come cut the right of ways and pick up all this illegal dumping and deal with the blight and find something for these kids to do and X, Y, and X, Y, Z, right? Right. So you keep that conflict going on. And then they look at North Macon and downtown and it's like, see all that stuff you're doing over there? Yeah, that's, really, that's, that's that. But even when in actuality, a lot of stuff, in those areas were privately funded as well. Uh so it's kind of like once so so my so my thing on getting like if somebody if the powers <laughs> privately funded man, more and more I see the more and more I see the UEA and also you Newtown making uh-huh. like y'all feel the like it'd be a bank and then Newtown making or a regular bank 
and the UDA, and then the developer don't have nothing but talk game. Mm-hmm. Like he don't really have no more cash than I do, or no more cash than the owner of Overtime or Anderson's Diner. Right. But they're able to find unlimited amount of cash off of their imagination. And that, and that's, and that's, and that's when the power to be have an entry in that area. You know what I'm saying? So what? Yeah. So so then the further question is now: How do you build an interest in Housing Avenue or an interest in Fort Hill? So I think there's a so it baffles me that the Urban Development Authority it's only just downtown passes out money downtown mm-hmm. because who is supposed to do gap finance if not the Urban Development Authority? Who is supposed to provide gap financing? For a business that wants to go on, come to Houston Avenue. Right. I, you know, there are people that got businesses and, Down there. and car deals and stuff on Houston Avenue. And, and those been the ones that have been there for a while, too, back when it was, you know. Yeah. A, grocery store, Rocky Creek Foods is down there, right? There is one grocery store. It's knockoff, but again. Yeah. I mean, then you got that um, family um, it used to be red and white on yeah. Houston Avenue. That's still there. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, imagine if Newtown or the Urban Development Authority was like, hey, um, be shifting out for a lot with a hundred thousand dollars, you know, no down payment loan, mm-hmm. right? Based on your business history and all this, y'all can update your, your what's the name and your storage to be able to, you know, upgrade. Maybe you open you up a second store someplace else, right? Right, all right, uh, you know. We understand that you know you want to do whatever because I know it helps a lot of downtown developers the fact that we got places like that that you can go you for gap money. financing. Yeah, mm-hmm. like the bank is only loaning it's a million dollar project. The bank is only loaning me eight hundred thousand. Can I talk to you about the two hundred thousand? Right. Right. Whereas if you too deep in Unionville or Montpelier or Napier Avenue. Is you know no 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 we only offering you a fifty percent loan on what you want to do and you can't use your credit card you need fifty thousand dollars hard cash hard in cash. your bank account like we don't know nothing about this creativity you don't have you, you don't have an existing business we don't have anything to go off of and that's and cause, like exactly that's where Newtown came in to help downtown is you don't have right. <laughs> you like yeah this the dreamers they got the you know, got the great uh, business plan and finance model, and you can see the, some of the little stuff that can work. You know, the bank's not gonna take that leap, and so then yeah. you know. But then, then when you look at on the other side, um, a lot of the banks have to give a certain amount of loans in in these low income areas. Like they gotta have a diverse, a certain amount of diversity in their profile. You know what I figured profile. out on. You know what I figured out on that? When I can't even disagree with it, once I say it, you're going to be like, yeah, that makes sense. Right? Uh-huh. All like the way they looking at the map, all of making is a low income. <laughs> oh, okay. I got you. I got you. <laughs> <laughs> just so you just say, just make it in general low. You look at the media. Like it qualifies. So it's based on the, it's like the, you know, the uh, treasury banking regions, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. And so, you know, the Atlanta Federal Reserve Treasury region covers, you know, like this general, like four or five states or whatever in the southeast, right? Uh-huh. So, you know, your baseline of poverty and the percentage of people that need to be impoverished 
Like just all of, again, and it goes back to that red zoning thing. Right. But downtown making most of North making also qualified as such a thing. Right. Oh, based okay. on oh, federal, based on the guideline, the federal view of it than the local, the localized view of it, right? Oh, okay. So you can meet so you can meet that requirement by donating to one project downtown, which is crazy to us is making nice, right? Right. Yeah, don't make any sense at all. Uh, fair application of the law. Right. <laughs> yeah. Don't think that's what he was talking about. <laughs> right. You ain't that um, and that's um. Well, dang! I guess hey, hey, the more you know, right? So you just look at it like that yeah. because making different. I mean, you, yeah, yeah. And when you look at making on the surface level, you know you got you have your affluent areas, but you know definitely yeah. definitely wouldn't be all of them. <laughs> definitely wouldn't be all of making look. But when you look at the whole region and you just generalize, I think with the median income is like household income is like thirty nine. I, I think it was yeah, like our our city. Our city is well below the state average on the median income. Like, right, right, and that's yeah, and that's and which is not good at all. And um, but yeah, it's um, yeah, it's something, it's something. It's just, I mean, it's a lot making really. We really have a lot of work to do, but we we've really been making some strides recently, and I'm I'm optimistic. Um, I think the real big. The big project that's been happening, making in these pants, that's really gonna pay dividends, and and I know in ten to twenty years, is that Saudi Church Road extension. Just the fact that you can connect seventy five to two forty seven in a in a highway speed where you don't lose anything. Like it's just that it was. You can say it years overdue, but it's happened now. And I know that's gonna be an industrial hub. Um, gonna lead to it because it's already changing down there. You have all those truck stops and stuff like you know you got loves, you got quick trip that's coming. Um, that's really gonna bring in a lot of money to the area. And if it could ever reach to um, sixteen, I know like the mayor had tried to propose um, you know a second phase to potentially go to um, Sagota Road in Twiz County and that, make that connection to sixteen. That would be a tremendous industry wise, but um, with that terrain out there, that that swampland and having to do all that, I know that's that'll cost a whole lot of money. That'll be um, I don't know if anybody will hop on board. I don't know G dot to hop on board for that one. It, it might take a lot of convincing. It just had to see how to how did you know everything play out. I guess. Oh yeah, if the money right for them, they'll do it. Somebody's gonna make yeah. enough money. That yeah. Amazon want a Mr. Whoever's next want. That's what they'll do. <laughs> if Amazon plant part two come out there and say, look, we're gonna build a whole nother plant. Um and we're gonna make this the Amazon hub. We just need a we need a straight shot to 16 to get to Savannah. I feel you know. sorry for the frogs. <laughs> hey, but they have the I mean, you know, they they would have to go around Bond Swamp though. They would have to make it. So it's um yeah, I guess to go the road probably would be around it. Yeah, that'll be half. I might have to go out further than that. <laughs> we'll see. Or even maybe if they would. Well, if you do, I'm about to say you go over all that swampland, you may as well make your own path because it wouldn't even. That's what 90, 96 cuts across. Yeah, so you can now you got to get to Kathleen pretty much and um, Bon Air to get over. So it's um. Why anybody would need to go to one of Robbins? That seems unnecessary for everybody. Right, right. Yeah, you want to. The goal is to take one of Robbins out of the, you know, out the field of play. 
Yeah. Just to, you know, be straight, go straight on across. But, you know, if, like you said, the numbers made sense. It'll happen. Um, but, yeah, man, um, it was definitely, definitely a good show. I appreciate you joining. Man, appreciate you for having me, man. Appreciate it. It was fun. Yeah, um, yeah, we had to do it again sometime next season. Uh, I, I'll let you know. I'll let you know. I will be in touch. But um, I would like. There we go. There we go. I'd like to thank everybody for tuning in to this episode of the Fall Line Theory. Uh, should they stay or should they go? Um, thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next week. Oh man, appreciate it.